Good evening. We're going to go ahead and get started if you don't care. And uh, I guess if you do care, we'll get started either way. But, you know, uh, but we're in Jeremiah chapter 30 again tonight. And uh, we started uh, last week. And we started this um, section on the restoration of Israel and that even though they were in captivity, God had promised to bring them out of captivity, but really the promises He was making were for the end of times and when the Lord restores Israel completely. And we read that in the book of Revelation and uh, we looked at how those promises were talking about Him uh, some of the key verses from what we uh, looked at would have been uh, in verses 5 and verses 6. For thus says the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins, like a woman in labor, and all faces turn pale. So we see this, this unnatural uh, um, uh, uh, difficulty. And so we understand that it's not going to be just like regular persecution, it's not going to be just like regular difficulty, but it's going to be something that is, is so shocking that it's not natural. And then it goes on, talks about for that day, but... It talks about in verses 8 and 9 how the Lord's going to break those bonds. But look at verse 10. Therefore do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest, and be quiet, and no one shall make him Afraid, And so we looked at how these promises are to the nation of Israel, but not just the nation physically, but to the people that God saves out of the Jewish race, that God has a special purpose and a plan for the Jewish people. And so we see this fulfillment. And so uh, regardless of how long the Lord tarries, um, whether it's a decade or five decades or 500 years, uh, no matter how much worse things can appear to get for the Jewish people, if you've ever looked on the map, <laughs> uh, I get a, I guess it makes me so angry. And uh, when someone will get on there and they'll talk about the fact that Israel is so oppressive, they're so oppressive to the rights of the minority, they're so oppressive to the uh, population that lives there. But do you know what nation in the Middle East is a thriving democracy? Israel. Um, you can be uh, openly Muslim in Israel. Uh, you can even now run for office um, as a Muslim. But um, how do you think that a Jew would be treated in Iran? Wouldn't go well. How about a, a Jewish individual in pretty much every other country in the Middle East? Not well. But the one thriving, not perfect, nation in Israel, we know that it's very, very secular, is the one that is continually, what, criticized, continually thrown under the bus. And it seems like every time 
one uh, political party is in power, we are trying to be friends with Israel. And in the moment the other political party becomes into power, it's like Israel is the problem. And, um, and that's just not the case. But yet, no matter how bad it gets, God has a purpose and a plan for them. And so when we come to verse 16, God begins to talk about how He is going to deal with the is enemies of God's people. And I think this is important tonight because while we are not ethnic Jews, we are spiritually the children of God. And there is a difference between ignoring something and being against something. Right? The old saying is what one generation tolerates, the next generation embraces. And sometimes you will have people who want nothing to do with church. They don't want you to invite them. They don't want you to talk about it. They, they just want to be left alone. But there are other people who are out against the church, right? You see them continually making lawsuits about prayer and, and Bible reading and all of these things. Or if a church tries to expand a parking lot in a big city or if you watch Chicago, um, the, the mayor of Chicago literally towed an entire street back in April of last year because a church was trying to meet. And so she was going to tow every car that was at church but ended up towing dozens of people who lived on that street. You see, there's a difference between allowing it and standing against it. But tonight he speaks here about those who have come against the children of God. But I want to just read these verses to you here in verses 16 and 17 to give us a warning about being careful how we treat the Jewish people, but also the children of God. Look what it says here in verses 16. Therefore, all those who devoured you shall be devoured. And all your adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall become plunder. And all who prey upon you, I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you, and heal you of your wombs, says the Lord, because they called you an outcast, saying, This is Zion. No one seeks her. And so when you hear this, it is meant to be encouraging. It's meant to be encouraging because so many times, I think when things fall apart around us, or persecution comes or difficulties arise, it is easy to feel like that God has forgotten us. Now, we know that these enemies were actually being used by God, right? We just looked at that in chapter 29, I believe it was chapter 27, about how the children of Israel were wicked. And so God used enemy nations to judge them, to chasten them, to discipline them. And it's easy sometimes when we are winning in the moment to think that we have God's blessings. You see the Assyrians, the Babylonians, all of these nations who came against Israel, while they were destroying the nation, probably thought, we've got our God's blessings. 
we have got our God's favor. But what God says is, even though I might have used you for my purposes, doesn't mean you were right. Doesn't mean that you were pleasing in the sense of salvation. And so friends, I caution this for us tonight as a church. Because just because we see results doesn't mean that we are right. That's okay. Let that sink in for just a second. If you are fighting against the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, and you defeat them in battle, you burn their cities, you carry them into captivity, you destroy the very temple of their God, you are probably strutting through town thinking, look at these results. But I can promise you that whether this is talking about the great day of judgment or it is talking about when God physically destroyed their nations, results didn't prove that they were right with God. And friends, you can be used by God because God wants to bring glory and honor to Himself. Paul talks about it in Philippians, the first chapter. And if you want to flip over there, you can. Or if not, I can just describe it to you. He talks about those people who are preaching, and they're preaching with the wrong motives. And they're preaching because they've seen Paul be elevated. They've seen Paul get the, the glory, which I don't know if you can read through the life of Paul and say that he was glorified and honored because you know he was shipwrecked, beaten, tortured, stoned, but the churches loved him. Huh? Philippians 1? Yeah, and it talks about in Philippians 1, he talks about here in verses 12. But I want you to know, brethren, the things which had happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul says, I have been thrown into prison. The people who throw, threw me here didn't mean it for good, but God has used it. It says there that the whole palace guard have now got an opportunity to hear and to see why Paul is there. Not only that, the other believers have been strengthened in their faith. Now don't, let, don't miss this, because Paul is in chains. Now you see, that's exactly backwards. If someone came in here to arrest me or yet arrest you, many people would scatter. They'd run. They would not want to be put in prison. But it says, and most, in verse 14, of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, when you and I go through tragedies for Jesus or trials and tribulations, and God gives us the faith and strength to endure, God uses that to strengthen and encourage other believers. And that is so important because many times we think that as long as God is blessing me, I can be a better witness for Him. If God is opening up the windows of heaven in our marriage and in our church, that's what everyone needs to see. What we need the world to see is that God is with us even in the chains, even in the betrayals, 
even in the difficulties. Because he switches gears here. And he even goes into verse 15 and says, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Paul is not rejoicing in the fact that these people are preaching for the wrong reason. He's not rejoicing that they're doing it to harm him. What he is rejoicing is the fact that Christ is being preached. Now these individuals were not preaching a false gospel because Paul spends all of Galatians talking about uh, when the gospel is corrupted. Uh, He spends the entire New Testament teaching what salvation is. And so what he's talking about is that Paul says some people are going to preach the gospel for the right reasons and some are going to preach it for the wrong. And we can inspect fruit, we can evaluate fruit, but ultimately there is only one who knows the heart. And that is not Paul. It's not Jacob Gray. And even though you think it might be you, better than you Bertha from Mississippi Squirrel Revival, you don't. You have no idea how broken someone is over their sin when they're alone with God. You have no idea my heart when I go into my prayer closet. You can think you know my heart. My wife might see how I am. But only God knows if I am genuinely broken over my sin or whether or not I am strutting into my prayer closet. I have no idea... If someone is genuinely, when they come and use the altar to pray, if they're doing it for the right reasons or the wrong. I have no idea. Whether someone raises their hand in worship or claps or shout or testifies. As you know, testimony services to me, I ask God that we would never have another one. And this is wrong, I know, but good and the bad, you get it both. Because why? I was so tired of it coming about us. Right? Well... And that was me being, well, I know them. And I'm tired of them hijacking testimony time to talk about them. And God had to remind me from time to time, maybe you ought to just be a little less critical. Now, that doesn't mean we get a, allow someone to get up and testify about the fact that they went to heaven and seen angels and had a conversation with God and didn't write some foolish book like you see being sold in Christian bookstores. I'm not talking about that. But the fact that God healed I don't know if you've ever heard Jace Brzezinski give his testimony. But it's unlike anything I've ever heard. Why? Because God miraculously intervened in his life. And a little boy that had brain cancer today is walking around here uh, chasing some pretty girl around, okay? Maybe she's chasing him, I don't know. But it's a testimony to what God can do. Or when someone stands up and talks about the fact that God saved their marriage or saved their soul. And so we have to be very careful. But I say all of that 
Because God gives a warning to the enemy of His people. And friends, tonight you and I need to be very careful that we are not enemies of what God is trying to do. That our hearts are in the right place. That we are seeking to love God, to love other people. You see, in this text, it was no doubt the Gentile people. It was these enemy armies. But friends, we see it in the New Testament. We see how Ananias and Sapphira are watching all these other Christians donate their land and donate their property and how the church is clapping for them. And so we don't know all the details, but apparently they must have promised to sell a piece of property and to give this whole amount to the Lord's work. But yet when they sold it, they didn't. And, and as you, you're familiar with that story, one comes in and asks how much it was sold for and what happens. They get him out and a few minutes later the other one comes in and same situation, same question, and what happens? Now, many times we think that ought to happen to everybody <laughs> who does something like that. But I'm glad that God is long-suffering. I am glad that I was not alive then and that was me. Because you know what? You could have been doing the same thing. And so could I. And so we don't embrace sin. We don't, we don't um, celebrate sin. But we have to be very careful here that whether or not we think we're on the side of God is, must be evaluated by the Word of God. Am I a prayer warrior? Am I someone who seeks reconciliation or division? Am I someone who is sent to encourage the brethren or my church family? Or do I come in to devour and destroy? You see, I think these are some very simple things in the sense of devouring and plundering and preying upon. But those three words can be applied in many situations. How many times do we devour someone's reputation by sharing things that aren't true about them? How many times do we uh, plunder or rob or steal the blessing or ministry that someone could have because what we have done to them? How about praying upon you? Now, that pray word is, it, it brings to, to my mind a lion chasing its prey. That's just anytime you say pray, that's what it is. And that's, we're not talking about the P-R-A-Y kind. We're talking about, but I have seen it for years. In, in, not in this church. We'll use other churches because we, we don't want to get too close to home, right? You'll see a new family come to church. You'll see a new believer get saved. And you'll see someone who's got a, a terrible agenda take them under their wing. And begin to lead them and guide them and nurture them. And I don't even want to use the term grooming them because of all the wickedness that's going on in the world with that. But it's like, I, I want Gary to come to my side. And he's new here, to, which he's not here new to 10 miles. He's, he's older and been here forever. But, <laughs> but I mean that in the nicest way possible. Yeah, come, come join me. Come, come, you know what, let me tell you about Brad. Right? I'm praying on those who are weak. And so as a Christian, we have to be so careful, whether it is in the physical sense, like a military conquest, whether it is emotionally, or whether it is spiritually, because God says, I'm going to take those who devour, and they're going to be devoured. 
I'm going to take those who plunder and they're going to become plundered. I'm going to take those who prey upon others and I am going to make them pray. And so tonight, remember this simple truth, whether it's the nation of Israel, whether it's you and your family, or whether it is us as a church, that if we are going to be who God wants us to be, we have to trust that He is going to fight the battle for us. We cannot get ahead of Him. We cannot try to make it work ourselves. We can't say, well, I can tell a lie because they told a lie. I'm going to be dishonest because they were dishonest. I'm going to be crooked because they were crooked. You can't do that. You have to trust that God will restore. And so I think it's very special here in verse 17 because He says, For I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Lord. It amazes me how a child, when they fall and scrape their leg or fall off the couch, and they're not really hurt that much. Anybody in the whole world tries to help them, they're like, but who's the one person that can usually show up and everything's better? Mom. There's just something about it. I don't understand it. I guess it's the way God made it. But it's that idea, when you see that little kid that's crying, or if, if you work in the nursery as much as my wife does, when people are trying to drop their kids off to you, <laughs> it's a whole different kind of crying. But, uh, but this idea of, of healing and restoring. But look what it says there in verse 17. Because they called you an outcast, saying, This is Zion, no one seeks her. God did not intervene just because other people were talking bad about Israel. God didn't intervene and fight for them the first time someone said that. When the Bible talks about a saying, it talks about that because it's well known. It's kind of like the fact that McLeansboro is well known for the state championship team in the 80s, right? Or it is well known for... I don't know what else it is, right? But, uh, Jerry Sloan being from here, it, it's a well-known thing. And so what he says here is, it's a well-known saying, this is Zion, nobody seeks her. Nobody wants to go to Jerusalem. No one wants to go to Israel. It's a destroyed, desolate place. There's nothing good there, but yet God says, I'll restore. And so it's a reminder that no matter how low you think, you are, or how low you think people think of you, doesn't matter how broken and messed up the situation is, the Lord can restore. The Lord can heal. The Lord can work. Thoughts. So if you're taking notes, I should have told you that first. (laughs) That was hope for the hurting And John writes about that, right? I saw a new coming down. And so, yeah, you can read about that in the book of Revelation, uh, in Daniel, I believe. Um, so, but hope for the hurting. Next thing I want to show you here, starting verse 18, it just kind of goes along on the specifics. Because I don't know if you noticed something, but when you get good news, I like to know the details. I want to know exactly how this is going to happen. And it says here in verse 18, Thus says the Lord, 
Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tent and have mercy on his dwelling place. That city shall be built upon its own mound or ruins. And the palace shall remain according to its own plan. Then out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of those who make merry. I will multiply them and they shall not diminish. I will glorify them and they shall not be small. Verse 20. Their children also shall be as before. And their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish all who will oppress them. Uh, I think that it says there in verse 19, and I will also glorify them. Um, it's kind of a, a reference back to the verse before where it talks about what was being said about Israel. What about the city of God, Jerusalem, that no one seeks it? it? It's, it really means I will put honor on them everywhere so that they will no longer be contemptible. And so this idea of something that is repulsive now becomes something of honor. Something that people look on as dishonorable, God says it will be viewed as honorable. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't use specific towns, but I don't, I don't care. Um, if you've ever drove through Opdyke, when I was a kid, Opdyke was a really nice, clean-looking little town. And if you live in Opdyke, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to upset you or offend you in any way, um, but it is what it is. Uh, but now, when you drive through, you know, it doesn't quite look as nice, right? And uh, Maybe the houses are more run down, and that's, we're not judging people because of their wealth. Or, or if you think about Chicago, right, the, the suburbs, people used to be able to live there and enjoy it, but now everybody's moving out, right, because of crime. And it's this idea that, that oh, it's just not very desirable. Like, most people aren't knocking down uh, doors to buy a home downtown Cairo, right, or downtown East St. Louis. It's, it's just this idea. Now, God loves everybody, I believe, even in those cities or in the suburbs of McLeansboro, wherever that would be. But it's this idea of when you first think about it, it's not something, oh, I don't want to drive through East St. Louis at night, or right? I don't want to, you know, I, that idea. And so he says there, and I will also glorify them, and they shall not be small. And so this honor that is going to be, to be bestowed is because of God, but it's not going to be on a small scale. And so we can, you can, we can see here that um, some people talk about this as what it's going to look like for the people to praise God. It's going to look like uh, many different things. But it's just this idea that God is going to restore. And it even says there, I don't know what your translation says in verse 18, the city shall be built upon its own mound. And, and so when I think of that, I think of Cahokia, right? And the, but it's this idea of, of ruins. And so being rebuilt on what has been destroyed, made new. And so it just continues to, to give hope, to give hope for the people of God, the, the city of God, the, this, this whole picture. God has taken Jeremiah 
and he has preached judgment, and he's preached destruction, and he's preached the wrath of God, and here he is, and he is trying to show them that there's hope. Flowers that up as a heap? A heap, okay. Yeah. And like I said, if you're from Opdyke, I'm sorry. It was not my intent to defend you, and so if the church gets sued by the city of Opdyke, I guess that's on me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which I think is hard for all of us because I think all of us like to feel that we're self-sufficient. Um, and then when the Lord knocks the you out of you, as Bill Stafford would say, right, when, you're, when your family's going through a situation that you can't fix, when someone's talking about you in a way that you can't stop, a health diagnosis that you can't overcome, it's when God intervenes. It's this idea that those who trust in Him, right? Who lean not on our own understanding. And so it is. It just it brings this picture of when you think of the nation of Israel, all the wickedness, the destruction, the calamity, that's you guys. <laughs> that's your sin. But even though the nation of Israel hadn't been faithful, the Bible says that God was what? Faithful. Even though the nation of Israel ran from God... He was faithful. He goes on here in verse 21, and it just continues this theme of God's restoration. <clears throat> their nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst. And I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me, says the Lord? You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Now, I'm going to read from the notes because um, that's just there's a lot there. It says here that this governor who is going to come from their midst um, truly um, is the one who is going to rule over them. And who is going to rule over the Jewish people? Who is going to rule over all of us? And so in Jeremiah 30, verse 21, <clears throat> it literally says there, in the ESV, by the way, their prince shall be one of themselves, their ruler shall come out from their midst. I will make him draw near, and he shall approach me. And so we see this idea here that if he approaches God, who is able to approach God in the Old Testament? The high priest, right? Um, and so we see here that if you read Psalms 110, if you read uh, Zechariah 6, that he will have the privilege to both approach God in position and in ministry. And the Bible tells us that who is our high priest? Absolutely. And so it's, I believe it's very evident here that it is, it is bringing that back to this. And so it says there though, but, and like I said, this is, this is some, some tricky stuff, so I'm just trying to walk through it as simple as I can here. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me? And he doesn't ask this question because he doesn't know the answer. He asks this question to draw the attention to the one. And so you can ask a question because you don't know the answer, or many times you can ask a question because you already what? Know the answer and you want to um, draw attention to it. 
And so we see here that there is really only one who is perfect enough to be that sacrifice, to make a way, to approach God. And that was not us. And so uh, it says uh, there in verse uh, 21, for who is this? Um, I think that it's who this he. And so it's just this idea that our Lord here in the very, I'm trying to just get it all, pledged his heart. Our Lord, I'm going to read this to you from Spurgeon. Our Lord with all his heart desired to do this. He engaged his heart to perform it. Before all worlds, his master purpose was to approach unto God as man's representative. His heart was occupied with love to God and love to man. And he could not rest till he restored the broken concord between these divided ones. And so it's this idea that Christ first loved us. That the plan of salvation was not because Adam and Eve have messed up, God surprised, what am I going to do now? That's, that's not how that was. It's not like, oh, we spilled milk, we need to clean it up. No, God's purpose and plan has always to demonstrate His love toward us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so I, I do believe here that it's talking about um, that um, but there are other interpreters and interpretations and and you can hold to them and be wrong. That's, that's your choice. But now, thoughts. Well, there in verse 22, it says, You shall be my people and I shall be your God. It's this personal um, relationship that we have through Christ. And, and so I think it's just really important here to, to be reminded, when we started back in verse 16, we saw how God was going to deal with those who were against Him. We looked here in verses 18 about bringing back the glory of Zion. But truly, here in verses 20 through 22, He gets specific about the object that should be taking our attention. It's not just the city. <laughs> It's not our enemies. It is to be focused upon who? Christ, right? That He is the cornerstone, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one we're supposed to keep our eye upon. He's the one that we're supposed to trust in. He's the one that we're supposed to worship. And so we're going to finish here in verses 23 and 24, and hopefully I can get you out of here earlier tonight than usual. <clears throat> Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goes forth with fury and continuing whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not return until He has done it and until He has performed the intents of His heart. In the latter days, you will consider it. And so... Uh, it's just this idea that God's judgment is going to be fierce. It's going to be intense. Um, and it's going to be certain. You see, sometimes we think that, well, I know God could judge. Or I know God could correct. But will He? 
Yes. <laughs> the answer to that question is, if you are His child and He loves you, He is going to what? Correct or chasten. It's not an if question, it's a when, right? It's not a if God's going to correct me. No, if you are His and He loves you, it's a matter of when. It might be on your deathbed. It might be when you're 75 years old. It might be uh, two minutes from now. But it will happen. And the same way is for the judgment of the wicked. They say, well, I guess God could judge, or He might judge, or if He judges. No, there is going to come a day when every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And so, friends, as the people of God, we need to believe what God says. We need to believe it because out of that, we are commanded to what? Go into all nations. The Great Commission. Because we know that without Christ, people are hopeless. Totally and completely hopeless. But I like here this last sentence in verse 24. In the latter days, you will consider it. And I really think he's just trying to show them that much of this is still to come. Most of this is something that is going to happen long after they are dead and gone at the end of times. Because if you are a Jewish person reading this letter, you're probably not thinking about the end of time. <laughs> you're probably thinking about, I don't want to be a slave anymore. I don't want to be in a foreign country anymore. I want to go home. And truly, that's the case of all of us. When trials and tribulations come, it is so easy for us to think about what? Now. God, I want you to intervene now. I don't want to go through trials any longer. I don't want to struggle anymore. God, intervene for now. But what we have to rem be reminded of is that God has a purpose and a plan that extends much farther than now. And as God works and moves, we have to trust that God knows what He's doing. In my life, I, <laughs> I have seen God do things and I've thought, I don't believe I've done it that way. Now, I know you've never said that. You're spiritual giants. That's okay. I've said it that. Or I've said things like that. God, I wish you to show me that a little earlier. Or God, I wish you to let me know then what I now know. But what always happens is God knows exactly what He's doing. And He doesn't need for me to know. And so I think our biggest problem is the same problem that started with Satan. I want to be on that throne. It's the same struggle that Adam and Eve had. Oh, God just knows that when you eat of that, you'll be like who? Him, knowing good from evil. The nation of Israel throughout its entire history. Oh, we, we are the children of God. We want the blessings of God, but yet we want to be in charge. Think about when God told him to go into the promised land. 
some of my favorite scripture reading comes from that. Because God promised that they would inherit a land with houses they didn't build, <laughs> with fields they didn't plant. I don't know what you do to a vineyard to get it ready. I guess you plant it. I can't remember or whatever. I wasn't there when it happened. Some of you just look like you were, but no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I've offended all the old people and Opdyke tonight. So, uh, but all they had to do was go in. That's it. And to fight when God said to fight and go where God said to go, and they wouldn't. They wouldn't, would they? And if you're following our nightly devotions, the, uh, uh, in the book of Judges, it talks about the, the children of Dan who wouldn't inherit their promised land because of the, the enemy. So they went and settled somewhere else. Well, we know what God wants for us, but we would rather be in charge. And friends, I think this is so important, not in the good times, but in times of difficulty, in times of trial, in trials of tribulation, when we cannot answer the problems that we face, the tendency is to work harder, to do more, to plan better, to win at all costs. And I am extremely competitive. But when it comes to your relationship with the Lord, what God says is, trust Him. Those who wait upon the Lord. And so I think it is one of the most humbling things that can ever happen to us is when God puts us in a situation that requires Him and Him alone to get us through it. And I believe that's what you see with the Jewish people. They had everything they needed. They had a promised land. They had the temple of God. They had the city of God. They had everything. But yet, crashed and burned. And God reminds them that I will restore and I will make it right.